Hello everyone and welcome to Golden Walker Magazine. My name is David Walker, bringing you the second interview that uh, I have promised you interviews uh, with writers and different uh, things like that. And, and uh, we are delivering with our second one, our first one, with Todd Kaneko and Morak Huey. It was wonderful. It was fantastic. Um, if you haven't listened to that, that was, I believe, in our April issue earlier this year. Um, and, uh, this one doesn't disappoint either. This one's great. It's a different flavor, um, which is what I'm hoping for diverse voices and, and whatnot, um, in terms of at least, you know, the subject matter. Um, this one is from, uh, a previous contributor, uh, Robert Morgan Fisher and his pal, Mark Valley. And, the reason I say it's a different flavor is because in the in the first one with Todd and Amorak, there was there were questions and I I gave them those questions I crafted those questions, and uh, then they went through them in their own way. Uh, in this one, it's a conversation. It's a it's a free flowing conversation that I had nothing to do with, um, and it goes in some great directions. Uh, it's so interesting. It feels like you're a fly on the wall. Um, with, with these two, these two pals who are just really entrenched in writing and it, it talks about, uh, veterans and, um, write, uh, writing through trauma and, um, just a lot of, a lot of great experiences that, that are kind of covered in this and acting and it just, it just covers a lot of stuff. So. I really hope you enjoy this this interview uh, with Robert Morgan Fisher and Mark Valley. Uh, let's get to it. Hi, my name is Mark Valley, and I'm interviewing Robert Morgan Fisher. Hello. Um, I'm an actor. I'm a writer. I can probably tell a little bit more about myself later. I've been in some shows like Boston Legal, Human Target, uh, Keen Eddie. I was even in a Campbell's Soup commercial back in the day, but let's not go into the details. <laughs> And uh, I'm here with a very good friend, uh, Robert Morgan Fisher, and I've known him for quite a while. Robert, do you want to yeah, introduce I'm, yourself, or do you want me just to talk about you? Well, we'll talk about how we met, and then uh, we'll also talk about the writing and uh, and why we're doing this for Golden Walkman, which we love. Um, I actually have known Mark for twenty over 20 years now. I was writing uh, radio comedy at Premier Radio Networks, and uh, he went to West Point, and uh, I knew some people in the Army, and... And they said, you got to meet Robert Morgan Fisher. And he, uh, he, he put it off, and then he finally came over. And, uh, and I asked him what he did. He said he was an actor. He'd been on ER. He asked me what I did. I said, well, I write and produce and voice radio comedy, uh, which, by the way, was one of the best jobs I ever had. And um, very creative. It was more I got my 10,000 hours in a lot of ways. And he, uh, he, he said, well, you know, I, I do voices. And I go, well, we're kind of looking for celebrity voices, you know, and... Uh, I said, what voices do you do? And he said he did, uh, you said you did uh, John Malkovich, which we didn't have. And we didn't have a Chris Rock, which you did. You did, I think you did Travolta. You did, a, you did uh, I remember them vividly. And um, in fact, do a little John Malkovich for us right now. <laughs> I I would, Robert, be happy to to talk, to do some... John Malkovich for you. I, I'm not really sure why we're here. 
<laughs> I, I don't mean what you're talking. I mean in a larger sense, <laughs> an existential well, I just, sense that I you just, might not have time to talk I about. I flipped when I heard him do that because I knew my, my I, boss would want me to be writing bits where Mark did John Malkovich. So I got you yeah. a, little, a little bit of work, a little pocket got change. Got me some job. Got yeah. me a job, yeah. Some checks yeah. came in. That was pretty cool. And then you blew up. I mean, the thi- yeah. that w- what I was ironic about is that the thing that probably did the most damage to my career in the military mm-hmm. ended up being like a check from Robert Morgan Fisher in a syndicated radio show <laughs> in Sherman Oaks. <laughs> I thought, oh, my God, the thing that, you know, got me in trouble so yeah. many times, like impersonating officers or, or other, yeah. um, other people in the Army. But even during that time, I was just, uh, just reading so much fiction. I, and it was never without a book. And I uh, would go on lunch hour and... Uh, well, and let's talk about you a little yeah. bit. Yeah. Did you like to read? I did like to read. Yes, <laughs> I did. Uh, I still do, actually. Um, and, uh, and, and, and that was a shared interest of both of ours because you had been to West Point, which is a, a very good school. And uh, you know, people think of it as just a, a feeder for officers in the military, but you get a very good education there. And, um, and I turned you on to a few books. I turned you on to Richard Yates... And um, uh, Fred Exley. Oh, absolutely. That was my favorite book for a while. Uh, fans Notes, yeah. Fans Notes, Frederick Exley. Yeah, and then we started working. Well, I, think I, re- I don't think I'd really read that much Carver either until you said, oh, my God, here, read these. Yeah, yeah. So you, you really were responsible for kind of rejuvenating my, my, you know, my literary education here when I got to Los Angeles in this wasteland. Yeah, and then for several years. And you- musical education as well. Yeah. Yeah. Wasteland just made me think of Dan Burns. <laughs> well, right. you, you were writing uh, scripts. I was writing scripts and screenplays and TV. And we were trying to, I was trying to break into that, that field. And you were um, uh, uh, doing... Uh, oh, you helped me with my one-man show as well. Yeah, that's right. Remember that? Yeah, you helped me put the music together for that. And yeah. yeah, which was on the... You went to the Fringe Festival with that. Mm-hmm. With, yeah. And, um, but uh, all that time, I was sort of gravitating more and more towards really going after the academic, you know, fiction and uh, uh, not creative nonfiction and screenwriting route. And I needed, I really wanted to get my MFA. And so I finally took the plunge a few years ago and I got an MFA from Antioch. And now you're at Antioch. I'm at Antioch as well. Right. I'm trying to break your track and field records. They're, they're, <laughs> I think they're going to stand there for a while. Yeah. I don't know if I'm going to be able to touch those. Well, when people think of Antioch, they usually think of Yellow Springs, Ohio, you know, and it was there for 150 years or something. And now the flagship uh, campus, I believe, is in Antioch, uh, West L.A., where I graduated. You're attending there. I teach. I'm affiliate faculty at Antioch Santa Barbara, which is um, a little more media-oriented. They teach the same things that... LA does but they we also do a lot of screenwriting up there and uh, I have students I meant have mentees that had done uh, fiction and memoir that included um, uh, photography um, and just really anything experimental up there uh, in addition to traditional you know um, mentees that want I was interested yeah. in their new media section as well yeah it's a really good campus uh, Ross Brown up there running things and he's so much fun and um it's a wonderful campus, so that's my little ad for Antioch. But <laughs> um, w- the other thing that we have in common is that um, I never served in the military, but my father was a career um, naval officer, and he did a little stint in the Army, and then he went into the Navy, and he wound up 
several tours in Vietnam and working on the Pentagon. So I really knew that culture, and that was one thing that where you and I just connected right away. I mean, I knew all the acronyms, and you know, we could. Uh, it was part of our how we how we spoke and how yeah, we approached our life. work too. You yeah. knew the life. Yeah. But I think even more than that, even more than the military thing, I think it had something to do with, I mean, I always say the great Santini, your father was the great <laughs> Santini. I mean, my father wasn't in the military, but there was that quality of a, rela- somewhat of a quality of, of that type of relationship. I mean, it wasn't, you know, the mama's boy scene or anything, but um, I think we also bonded on that personally as well. Oh, absolutely. And it, it influences and informs everything that I do. I Sometimes I write a lot about that and... uh um, a couple of years ago, um, I, I was, had been teaching, one of the many teaching jobs was teaching a summer gig at the university, at uh, UCLA in the summer, um, that, uh, called, uh, Summer Discovery, and I was teaching entertainment business and the history of film and TV to, um, high school kids from around the world, and, uh, I, but I really wanted to teach a short story class, and they, um, they offered me a, uh, well, they, they, I, they said they didn't have a short story class. And then as I was walking out the door, uh, the guy interviewing me, Chet, said, uh, you know, but we are in talks with the VA across the freeway uh, to teach a creative writing class to veterans with PT. And he got that far into it. And I said, that's me. I mean, I, I just completely came alive. And I said, that, you know, uh, that is, that's what I am meant to do. I mean, I'm, I know that culture. Um, you, don't you talk to anybody except me. <laughs> I really and I I really came on too strong and went out and said, well, this is never going to happen because of the bureaucracy of the VA, which I knew well, and UCLA. But two weeks later, they called me and said, you're hired. These men and women desperately need your help. And I um, and I started teaching once a week there, every week um, to men and women, uh, and uh, teaching creative writing, teaching the craft and the business of writing and. We came up with a snazzy name for them. They're the UCLA Word Commandos. And um, Oh, they came up with the name? I did, actually. My Twitter handle for years had been Word Commando. And I, the, um, the West LA VA Creative Writing Workshop for Veterans Suffering from PTSD in conjunction with UCLA was just too wordy. And they loved the name Word Commandos. And um, I even went a step further and said I was going to be their gunny which is the gunnery sergeant, you know, E7 pay grade. Um, I knew that they would all have had a gunny. In fact, you're the one that first... Are you the first? Yeah, I was the first... The first one to call me gunny. Victim of the gunny. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I think I just met Arlie Ermey, too, at the time. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, yeah, yeah, from uh, Full Metal uh, Jacket. you were a gunny sergeant. I mean, you are a gunny sergeant. I mean, you you are a taskmaster of craft. I'll have to say that, whether it's playing the guitar understanding the chords and chord theory and all this stuff that mm-hmm. I never really figured out. And, um, you know, the craft of writing and being, and being, you know, aware of an entire body of work or of an, of an entire genre and the importance of understanding everything that's, that's going on around you. Um, I do want to say one thing though, definitely word commandos. The one thing those guys respond to, and I've worked with some veterans before is they definitely know when somebody's half stepping it. Yeah. You know, and they yeah. can really tell when somebody gives a shit. Yeah. And I, they really respond to your enthusiasm. And um, and you can see it inspiring them. Um, I mean, there's some pretty amazing pieces of work that have come out of that. Oh, know? yeah. Well, the first six months, you were one. You were part of that group. So you were you and another guy, Phil Banos, uh, uh, Philip Julian is his author's name. He um, you guys both had a story published 
in uh, in, in various prestigious, prestigious couple of prestigious journals. And uh, based on that, um, the UCLA people doubled the size of the class, <laughs> and my and my salary doubled the class meetings to twice a week. And so we meet twice a week on Tuesdays and on Saturdays for two hours. And I rarely, if ever, miss a class. You've actually sub sat in for me. Uh, mm -hmm. A couple times when I've had to go on a camp out with my Boy Scout son or something, uh, but they, um, I, I, I interact with them seven days a week uh, via email. They send me stories, poems, essays, screenplays, mm -hmm. everything, and I, I work with them. And um, on Saturday we have Submission Saturday, where we uh, we we study the markets and how to submit your stuff and how to write a cover letter and um, you know the right things to say and the wrong things to say and how to format. Um, that's all an important part of the writing process. I don't think it's given enough attention, you know, um, in some writing classes. Gunny pays attention to detail. That's for sure. Yeah, oh, yeah. You know, they, and uh, they just love it when I said, you know, listen, man, square away those margins, okay? <laughs> like, yeah. Okay. Like, I mean, yes. they respond to it. I, mean, I, had, I, had a I had a question. I do want to push back just a little bit because the, the um, I mean, the word commandos and, you know, it's sponsored by UCLA, and most of those people are right there on the, on the VA um, campus. Mm -hmm. uh, around Vietnam, saying somebody had PTS or PTSD was, um, mm -hmm. it wasn't something somebody necessarily wanted to be identified with. And how do you find this students of this, or of this, of this group responding to that? Well, yeah, that's a really wonderful question. Um, things have really changed a lot. You know, people are very outspoken. Um, uh, and it's, it's, you've, you've got to shine a light on it. You know, and when you do that, then it becomes less stigmatizing. I even have people in my word commando group that are very candid about um, things such as MST, which is military sexual trauma, which is very common, more common than people think. And it's not just women, it's, it's men that it's happened to. Uh, and, um, you know, sometimes they write about it, you know. Sometimes they write about a trip to the grocery store. You know, I don't, mm -hmm. I don't force them down a road to write necessarily about their combat experiences or so or something. Um, that said, you know, um, you know, I also I I showed up the first day with bags of books, <laughs> you know, and I said we're going to read in this class, and um, and and you'll notice in these in these bags there's no airport books. You know, oh, I like that. Yeah. And, uh, you know, no genre fiction. And I said, it's okay if you, I said, if you want to write genre fiction, meaning mysteries, romance, um, sci-fi, you know, um, all I ask is that you, one, love genre, that genre, that you study it, and that you write that genre with a firm literary, literary foundation. So you're going to be reading Tobias Wolf, you're going to be reading Flannery O'Connor and Lydia Davis and, um, you know, Mary Gateskill and uh, John Cheever and... Um, Roberto Bolaño, you know, so, you know, I, I'm, I'm, as, as you know, you've seen my library, <laughs> mm -hmm. you know, I, um, and I, and I, I, I bring in books all the time for them. It's high protein, uh, library that we have there. I said, you know, we're, we're doing PhD work here. <laughs> it is good. I mean, a lot of times you didn't know, like I was in, I was in the Gulf War and, I mean, it was over in four days, and then we just then we just had to figure out how are we gonna get everybody back on a plane. Right. And so, <laughs> five four hundred thousand Americans, you know, you gotta you gotta wait. 
right? right? I mean, it was so. Um, one of the things that people did was they sent books, and you could go to this warehouse in Dharan near the port, and, and you pick up whatever books you wanted. I mean, it was a huge. Mm-hmm. It was like a basketball gymnasium with cardboard boxes on the floor. Wow, that's how many books were there. And I just remember going through those those things, and there was a lot of airport books to wade through. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But um, I picked out some good ones. But there, you really have to kind of cut through the through the through the dross, you know, to um, find those find that protein. And yeah, you do a really good job of that. A lot of the books that I have mm-hmm. are ones that you recommended to me. Yeah, and I'm and I continue to feed you books and you fed me books i mean uh, I, i'm sitting on my on my queue is knock em stiff which i haven't read yet and and you're like you haven't read that and i go and you know and i and i'd heard of it and i go wow well, yeah i can't believe that i have a copy oh my of god it. there's a book that i read that you haven't yeah no <laughs> well hey but um um so yeah you know we we i, I tell my word commandos um I'll never be caught without a book that's one of our rules you know and i suggest to them that they have four books going at all times two in their car you know for when they're in waiting rooms because in the va you know it's it's one big wait um one on the nightstand one in the one in the head that's what you call the the bathroom you know and um and they and 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 they've taken that to heart you know um do you have them do you suggest that they read also with uh, um electronic books oh yeah yeah i'm i'm all all for that you know i was actually on the vanguard of uh electronic publishing in 99 uh, or 2000 I um was uh, took second place in the first ever publishing online um North American fiction you know um open uh with a with a with a novel my star- a starter novel which was okay what novel was that it was called set the poem free but it's no longer available uh you know i've actually k- taken that old manuscript you've destroyed it well <laughs> I, I you don't even have a file anymore? i it, i went through a, a development process with a producer in hollywood bill Botolato, a wonderful guy and he gave me so many good ideas um uh, for that book and so that was a learning process for me and um uh you know after a few years some some novels they just they're just like well it's probably a, a good thing that this, this this didn't become a dead tree book, you know, um, because it was published online and it's out there and that's fine. But I've actually taken that novel and cannibalized it. Uh, I've taken all a lot of the the set pieces and stories and, and turned them into short stories for my. Um, other collection which is making the rounds right now so it was more like a chapbook you should have kept on a shelf you think no 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 it was a very thick involved novel with a wonder wonderful concept right it was conceptually very good um i may go back and 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 pull that out and just say let's give this another try sure you know but um i i wrote a collection of uh short stories called you stay here stories from the military family diaspora which my agent is shopping around and um it's all stories about military dependence. That's a wonderful title as well. And uh, thank you. And you just the, picture uh, a kid like what? <laughs> well, Stay here. my dream. I told my agent. I said, you know, uh, my agent's Peter Riva at International Transactions, who's a terrific person, and uh, my dream agent actually. And he, I told him, I said, my dream is to have this published and to just tour um, every bookstore within a you know 20 mile radius of every military reservation in America and um and have military dependents and military personnel you know 
and the public, you know, discover this book. Because the epigraph of the book um, really states the purpose of the book, which is, it's a quote from Pat Conroy, who wrote The, the Great Santini. And it's, um, let's see if I can get this right. It says, the uh, children of warriors in our country learn the grace and caution that come from a permanent sense of estrangement. So you made a little slip there. You said you like to take this book to every, and that's a really interesting quote. I want to hold on to that, that <laughs> estrangement. But you said, I'd like to take this to every military reservation in the, in the country. <laughs> and I thought, my God, they are like reservations. Yeah. It's, you've been removed mm. to the agencies. Yeah. Right. And yeah. But, so I guess I'm wondering. What's well, an insular society? It know? is. Yeah. yeah. I guess I'm wondering is what, what um, you know, in terms of if, if you look at like the native and the Native American experience, I mean, obviously it's. You know, much, much, much more, you know, tra traumatic and involved. But in, in the sense that you guys are, you guys are both isolated in these certain specific geographic regions. Mm -hmm. um, what, what do you think you, what do you miss out on? One, what do you miss out on? Mm -hmm. Or now that you realize that you're not getting in from the rest of the culture. Right. And what develops within that reservation that doesn't happen somewhere else? And it's from the point of view of the dependents. Well, you'll have to read the book, Mark. No, I'm kidding. You actually, <laughs> you've actually read many of the stories. And, uh, um, but one of the things is that um, military kids, mo most of them, long for the stability of Main Street, USA. Mm. You know, I remember um, I, I was in a few places, including um, Whidbey, Whidbey Island Naval Air Station up on uh, Oak Harbor, Washington. And I spent a good six years there, which is an eternity when you're a military kid uh, to be in one place. And I loved that town. Uh, I'm still very connected to those people. I moved in the middle of my senior year from there. So I didn't graduate with those kids. And, um, but it was a, uh, a beautiful town um, with all these trees on, on, on the, they call it the rock, Whidbey Island. And, um, and I would see these families that were Dutch you know that the, they settled the the uh, the town about 150 years before that. All these farmers, you know, farming this this rocky soil and 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 having livestock and stuff. And they to me they were just so pure and beautiful, um, and 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 they just they lived in in a completely different world than I did, and a very uncomplicated, and um, they they could live and. Uh, die in that town if they wanted to. That had a certain appeal to me. The other thing um, about uh, being on a military reservation is that you really learn to adapt. And um, that is one of uh, the things, one of the stories that I wrote um, was called Himself, which hasn't been published yet. But um, it's a sectioned story with just these little kind of vignettes of this, of this person. Uh, growing up as a, as a military, they call them military brats. I hate that term, but that's that's the the, the slang. And and his part of his misbehavior, right? We talk about misbehavior or his mm -hmm. work, is that he's just so damn adaptable. And um, most military kids really know how to bloom where they're planted. And um, it's not unusual for military kids to run into kids that they knew from other bases thousands of miles away earlier in their lives. So it's, there's this kind of insular community. 
with all these little pockets, you know, like like reservations, you know, these islands. Of, that's uh, fascinating because I mean, when, on one hand, we have a lot in common, mm-hmm. but that's one area where we're a little bit different. I was raised in the same place for the first nineteen years of my life, yeah, in Augsburg, New York, and I write about, a lot about the place, and you're mm-hmm. really supportive about that, mm-hmm. but. Where, as you say, you know, you might meet other kids and somebody, one, one strength they develop is their adaptability. Do you, do you ever, I think it's fascinating, is you could meet a is that adaptability, right, mm-hmm. in, uh, living in a living in a one, one town? <laughs> oh my God, there's a UFO. Oh there's a UFO land. There's aliens at the door. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. It was my phone. No, I guess, I guess I mean that that, um, what, what I'm trying to say is, you would meet kid. You, you you remember kids who were very adaptable, mm-hmm. right? Um, did you meet many that weren't very adaptable? And I, why I say this is because where I'm from, in mm-hmm. if you were very adaptable, um, you probably would have figured that out pretty early on, mm-hmm. and you'd become a little bit restless in a small town. So you might end up with different types of people fitting in mm-hmm. in those two different types of experiences. So wh- what was? Do you remember? Do you remember any kids that just weren't adaptable, and how did they respond? Well, I mean, yeah. No, I don't want to give the impression that, um, you know, military kids are totally squared away and always have it together. You know, there were plenty of military kids that um, that had um, issues, you know, emotional issues, um, some, dis- you know, various other uh, challenges, right? Um, when you are when you are separated from your uh, father or mother now, you know, um, it damages you a little bit you feel like you've missed out a little bit it's very hard on families um jimmy carter was someone who actually said that you know he would really like to see a little bit more stability you know in 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 military life um you know we've we've heard that phrase you know if the marines wanted you to have a wife they would have issued you one Mm. (laughs) you know um but um uh no there were there was plenty of dysfunction going around a lot of dysfunction, um, you know. But oh, I remember that one script of yours. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's plenty of dysfunction. <laughs> but um, but by and by, you know, it's um, by and large, it's a, uh, you know, it's a subject that hasn't really been explored too much, you know, in literature. Stephanie Vaughn wrote a fantastic um, um, book, a uh, collection of short stories, um, called uh, Sweet Talk, um, that came out that has some just iconic. Uh, military dependent stories in there uh, she's a terrific writer and uh, if you listen to like the new yorker fiction podcast tobias wolf reads one of her stories um but uh anyway yeah so that that's something that i write about all the time i also write about other stuff too though you know i'm a you know, i had a career as a musician as a singer songwriter and a guitarist and uh, so um uh and an, i've done some acting so those peripheral sh- showbiz types fascinate me. So I've wrote a collection of stories, you know, called Cabaret Nation that I just keep adding stories to, you know, mm-hmm. and they're, uh, they're stories about, um, you know, musicians and actors. And I even have one about a, um, uh, a donkey in a sex show <laughs> that got published in Psychopomp magazine <laughs> a few years ago called Burrito. From the, from the point of view of the donkey? Yeah. It's a love story. Oh, good. Um, it's a it's a piece of flash fiction. So um, I'm going to ask you like a just a kind of <clears throat> basic question. Okay. How many short stories have you had published? Probably uh, I have a number. I just want a number. Jeez, I, that's something you would think I would know. It's phenomenal. I would have I would have like a clicker in my pocket. 
<laughs> you should have a clicker with the number that you had published. I don't know. I'm I'm, I'm guessing like um, 20, 30. I don't know. You know, a lot. There's some that I don't even count anymore. You know, it's like, oh, God, that, that's, I'm embarrassed. That one. That one. You know. Oh, 20. <laughs> I just got a rejection email yesterday. <laughs> I'm like, can't you, can't you just write a letter? I wish, I'd, I wish I'd started earlier. I'd actually like to get a rejection letter. Oh, your stuff's good, and, this, and he's got a. You've got a new story, um, the Battle of Ogs, Ogs, Ogsdenburg. Og, Og, Ogden, it's tough, I know. Yeah, it's no. like Ogden, the the yeah. Mormon guy. Ogden, Ogden, like Ogden, Ogdensburg. Utah. Yes. And um, yeah, it's, it's kind of a difficult title, but thanks. Uh, <laughs> but it's a good story. I like that one. That's one I remember. I, yeah, yeah, that was a. I, I was wild, some emails man. I save. I save that email. You were like, you made up a word. You said holy frack or something. F A A K. That's good. No, it was a good story. That was like um, a new words, new words. Well, you see now, Antioch is making you a better writer. It really is. You know what's making me a better writer? The first that I went in there the first day or the first night for their um, orientation. They mm-hmm. said, uh, you know, we're going to make you read. Mm-hmm. And reading is going to make you a better writer. So I think it was just sitting and just reading all those books, and I could feel how it's yeah. affected a little bit. Well, someday, they, someday I'll know how to figure out how to use a semicolon, and then I'll be off and rolling. <laughs> well, they, they do assign a lot of books. You have to do a certain number yeah. of annotations, and uh, you know, and the annotations can't be like book reviews. You're like, oh, I didn't like this book. It, it doesn't matter. It has to be about an aspect of craft, and you know, they're pretty strict about that. And it's good. It's good that they are. You know. Um, well, I really enjoyed. Uh, my I mean, time it's bleeding there. into the rest of my life, but now I'm making choices. I'm like in the grocery store, like you know, I don't, I don't want to get that sauce, but I can really respect what they're trying to do. Yeah. Putting basil and mushroom into it, it's just not the one I want right now. I'm yeah. going for the garlic sauce. Yeah, I, I, I can appreciate that. Other people can. So let me ask you a question. Um, sure. You know, uh, you're an accomplished actor, and um, uh, you know, and I've done a lot of voice yeah. acting. I've done a lot of commercials and. Um, I do audio fiction, obviously. Um, how much uh, does your do your acting chops come in to your writing? You know, do you like you know a lot of people say you know why would you write a story, Robert, about a, a you know a Latino male? That's cultural appropriation. No, no, I I want to inhabit that life. I want to, that's why I got into this business. I want to try to you know to to be other people. And when you're an actor, if if you've ever done any acting, uh, and and you know for a certain amount of time or as a professional, you understand that when you when you get to inhabit you know another life and really try to fill up fill up yourself with that life, it uh, you it's a two way street, you know. So how does how does that come into your um, to your work? Uh, well, I think in, in, in one respect, it's storytelling and sh- sharing certain stories. I mean, the, the first the first thing that comes to mind is, well, when I'm writing, I'm creating it my, mm-hmm. myself. I can kind of listen to that character mm-hmm. as he, I can almost watch this character talking, right? Yeah. And kind of, tra- I'm transcribing, the best of ins- the best of cases, I'm kind of transcribing. I remember as an actor, I could kind of feel that. I could read a script and be like, nah, this guy is just, he's filling in dialogue. You know, but I could tell the ones where it popped up almost into like this hologram where I thought, oh, this writer was listening to this person yeah. saying these things. And I, and I could really respond to that. Um, yeah, I, I, I wanted to play, a, wanted to experience, you know, things from a different, different points of view. And, you know, if you're playing a series, you're, you're playing a character on a television show, um, you know, for years you're playing the same person and yeah. you can't. 
I mean, nowadays, sure, there's a lot of there's a lot of variety, but um, there's only so many transparencies there. <laughs> you can just <laughs> you know just kind of go completely in a different direction and right. see things from somebody else's perspective. The only time I was really getting to feel something from another person's point of view oftentimes on a television show as an actor is watching the guest actor who's really doing the heavy lifting right who's really connecting to this trauma or this tragedy this case or this trial or whatever and um actually stripping yourself enough to feel some empathy for them and i thought oh, they're the ones that are having a lot of fun um that said acting is just a lot of uh you know it's funny it's been something i've been thinking about lately if somebody says they want to be an actor i'd be like you know what do it for now yeah <laughs> that's kind of my advice i like i like don't i wouldn't plan on i wouldn't put too many marbles marbles in the bag on on um on, on your acting i think it's a wonderful yeah. skill but as a writer i can ki i kind of know when mm -hmm. um i remember this i was working on a script with somebody a co-writer i'd never written like a television script before and he said you know mark this scene's pretty good i got your characters but um what do they want in the scene, I was like, "Oh my God, this is the same thing a director would would say to you." And you're to, like, as an oh. actor, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. what do you mean? What do I want? I'm not an actor. I'm a writer. I don't have yeah. to know those things. And you think, "Oh, a lot of the work yeah. that you would do in building a character, at least initially, as well, is finding out what the person wants." So it's you know when you're when you're um, uh, stepping over into other genres, you know, um, then you are uh, doing cross crossover. Uh, it can really, really open up you know, your, your art in a certain area. You know, when I was, um, when I first came to Los Angeles, uh, I wanted to be an improvisational jazz guitarist. You know, I wanted to be Keith Jarrett on the guitar. You know, I wanted to marry the delicious acoustic textures of Kotke with Al Miola. That was kind of who I was. I was reading a lot. I was, I was actually writing short stories too, but that was kind of one of my big goals. So I took a class at the Groundlings to uh to learn the tenets of improvisation because i thought stage improvisation would teach me mm -hmm. to be a better guitarist and then i got sucked in to stage improvisation and i wound up work you know doing that for five six seven years and um i met and i'm glad i did because i met some of the best people in my life i learned so much i couldn't have written radio comedy if i hadn't you know had that training at the groundlings i wound up being in a an improvisational soap opera called specific hospital mm -hmm. um but then there came a point, you know, where I said, you know, I just don't like being an actor on, you know, on screen, you know, um, and, and on stage or, you know, kind of going after that. Like, I did not want that to define me. So I backed off and focused on TV and film writing and fiction. And um, and that's what I've been doing ever since. You know, a little bit of music here and there because, you know, I'm, I, I have a, a fan base, you know, that, that likes my songs. I have records out that get played and so forth. Narrative songs. I'm a narrative songwriter. I often write companion songs to my short stories. Um, when I do spoken word events here in Los Angeles, um, I show up and I read a short story and then I say, here's the companion song to that short story and I, and I play it. And happily, <laughs> you know, I have people come up and they say, you know, when you pu pulled out that guitar, I thought, oh no, here we go. A good short story is about to be ruined by some hack song, you know. But but the song was good, and I and I feel 
gratified and relieved, obviously, because it's a risk to do that. I think you should do a performance dance for, for every one <laughs> of your short stories as well. Yes, I'm going to do just an interpretive dance. Just put your uh, Alexander Technique costume on, the black tights and the shirt. I'm, and do I'm just going to let Robert be Robert. And just go and just... No, no, I, you know, it's okay. How do you know when something... How do you know when you get that germ of a story? Like, uh, you know, when something... Because the one thing I wanted to go into is you really... Mm-hmm. You get a little bit obsessed about your... your I remember the one year you were all about the Beatles. It was all you could talk about. But you get obsessed about your, your things that you're working on. Yeah. It's healthy. You know, you're a very, you're a super productive person. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, how do you know if something is going to be a song? It's going to be a short story. It's going to be a novel. That's a good question. Yeah. Um, well, the, as far as the Beatles go, you know, um, I had an, I, a conceptual idea for a novel, you know, which, you know, is in the hands of my agent now. And, um, um, but I worked on it for a long, long time. And, I, uh, you were in that world, man. Well, I did a lot of research, which can ruin a good book. But fortunately, the great Jim Crusoe at Antioch taught me that when you're writing historical fiction, uh, that you want to really just, you can do a lot of research, but you cannot be showing it off in your writing. You know, just let it inform and influence the work and the, 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 the less details you put in there, you know, uh, you know, like I wrote a civil war novel, another one that's out there that my agent Peter Riva has right now. And I don't mention a single battle in the Civil War. Don't polemicize it. Yeah, or a personality. I've been waiting to use that word for like a week. (laughs) (laughs) One of my mentees just actually wrote a critical paper on uh, uh, polemicizing. It's really Really? good. Really good. Yeah, she's really, really talented. Diane Schmidt. Mm. Um, Remember that name. But but anyway, so yeah, I, um, uh, uh, I I do write a lot of historical fiction. Um, and rather than infor- in, 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 in inject a lot of uh, personalities and names, like in, the, in my Beatles novel, I, I, I don't, never even use their last names ever, not once. It's just John, Paul, George, and Ringo, you know, and I, I don't think I ever even call them the Beatles. I just say, you know, um, the band, because it's really about this guy who wants to manage them. He, of course, fails. He never does. And, um, and it's, uh, he fails downward but learns some important lessons. And um, so I'm going to draw a little parallel here. Mm-hmm. You, your book about these dependents, which I think, which I can't wait to kind of read once it, once they're all together. To be honest <laughs> with you, you stay here. Mm-hmm. You you do tend to you do tend to have a, f- a few characters who get left behind. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I think this goes with the territory when you're a military dependent. Um, you know, there's. Uh, in the in the obvious cases where I have a lot of friends I grew up with whose fathers were MIA, never came back, um, or they were POWs. You know, they did some time in jail. Uh, my father worked for uh, a guy who had done uh, by Fuller in the Pentagon, um, and my dad also actually, not not many people know this, but my father, in the early '60s, um, knew John McCain. Um, they served very closely together, you know, in uh, the Cuban Missile Crisis and um, and later on in the Pentagon. And, uh, in fact, <laughs> I was able to pull together a pretty good John McCain voice for some of the bits that we did, you know. Yeah, that's, and that's really just kind of crazy. Uh, but anyway, love John McCain. Uh, you know. did, you, did you go to school with kids whose parents were actually in POW camps? I did. What's that like? Hey, ah. Um, 
Well, it you is. Better, like, uh, do you pick them for the team? Or? You know, <laughs> uh, some, it, it varies across across the board, you know. Some, um, wow. So, that's, so, just, that's just amazing. Some were very, very, you know, together and, um, you know, they, they, they endured that. Mm -hmm. uh, others, you know, there was, um, you know, just a lot of, a lot of wounds and uh, dysfunction, you know, that, you know, uh, even McCain, I just saw the documentary on him a couple nights ago, uh, very good documentary on uh, cable right now. And, um, you know, his first marriage, you know, fell apart, you know, cause he was, came back like a different person and, um, you know, and uh, he just, and it was, it was very, very tough, you know, on his, uh, on his, the, his first wife. Um, but, um, but you know, you, you, you pick up and you, and you move on, you know, and, uh, there are, listen, I, I want to say, you know, I think it was Fitzgerald who said there are no second acts in American life. Oh my God, there are. And yeah. I, yeah. And I tell my word commandos this all the time because some of them, you know, the, the, the diversity uh, of my work. Dennis Rodman. Yeah. <laughs> oh, geez. <laughs> you, you had to go there. No. Um, some of them, you know, are, are, are Vietnam vets, you know, and, mm -hmm. uh, who are just trying to get published for the first time. And, um, and, and, and they say, I don't know if I can do this, this late night. I go, listen, there, there are second acts in American life. There are second, third, fourth, fifth, and sixth acts. You know, you, you decide, you know, you're writing this show. Okay. And, uh, you know, I had one guy, uh, he came back, he was an African-American, a uh, fellow who had some heartbreaking um, uh, action in Vietnam and um, an amazing writer. His name is Gentle Culpepper, Gentle Culpepper. And uh, he uh, left a very emotional message for me when uh, he had a story accepted that I had edited for him. And um, I'll never delete that message <laughs> ever, you know. There's going to be an essay, actually, about what the work I do with them coming out in September in a new magazine called Teach period, right, period. Uh, that's the title of it, Teach Right. And it's for uh, creative writing teachers at the college level for, for their uh, stuff to be published. And they they ex accepted a story um, of mine. And um, uh, the editor, uh, Katie, uh, she, um, Katie Winkler. Um, and this story, I have to tell you, Mark, this is, this is, this is a whole conversation. You know, I've written probably 120 stories, you know, that are keepers, I think. And there, there's, there's a top three, top five, you know, where I go like, oh, yeah, well, that's one of my favorite stories. And it's not just because, you know, you know, they say murder your darlings or whatever, you know. But I just, I just know I've revised this so much, and I just really believe in this story, but it just wasn't getting published. And, um, and I had some theories as to why. But... Uh, Eventually, you know, I just, out of stubbornness, I, said, I am just going to keep sending this out to respectable journals until <laughs> this thing gets published. And, and this mag new magazine, that she took it, and I am, will be forever grateful for her. And she sent me an email back and said, you know, I, um, I would really like you to write an essay about your work with the veterans. And, uh, and you know, we came to an arrangement, and I said, sure. So I, I wrote a six-page uh, essay and uh, it'll a short essay and it'll be uh, appearing in uh, in their magazine. I think about the same time that my short story does, and uh, it's called Word Commandos, and it's basically um, you know the story of um, how I came to 
to head this class, to create this class? I mean, you probably, I don't want to dip too much into this essay, but, you know, I mean, it's the cliche question of like, what have you learned as a writer? And how has this changed you as a writer by working with these commandos? And I do want to say one thing, though. A lot of veterans, um, there's, there's different types of people that kind of are helping veterans. I mean, there's other, you know, veterans themselves that are helping right. veterans. There's, there's family, you know, <laughs> and friends. And then there's, mm -hmm. um, and then there's like a couple of different types. There's two different types. One is a sort of coddling, treating them as victims of a, bellicose society you know right, right and then there is another one who is like look it's not your fault it's not my fault we're here here's what you need to do i'm yeah. going to stick with you yeah um which is my approach which is your approach yeah. you know what i mean um that that said like how how is that how is your um how's your experience with with these guys have affected affected you that's a wonderful question um it's made me more humble for sure, um, there, but for the grace of God, I guess, you know, uh, also, um, it's reminded me, how's it made you more humble? Um, that, uh, I've got it pretty good. Somebody like General Culpepper could crawl out of the rice paddies and <laughs> write, write this amazing short story. Some of these, some of these vets tell me stories. Um, and they're not, they're not just, there are combat stories. Um, you know, I have one veteran who, uh, I, I knew him, I happened to know him when he was a little boy. And uh, he came back from Afghanistan, and um, he had a lot of challenges. Uh, and he was one of my first word commandos, and uh, he's doing really well right now, you know. Um but when you have that kind of history with somebody, it's just kind of coincidental that I, I knew him. But how has it humbled you? It's, it's made me realize, you know, hey, um, I, I have it really good, you know, right. and, and, and I just don't take things for granted anymore, mm -hmm. you know. I'm happy, you know, with crappy food or something, you know, that, 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 that you know, I, I just see what they go without. And... Um, and I see how good their hearts are, and um, it's inspiring, you know. And listen, how's it affected you as a writer? Well, there's, that's, you know, because somebody said I remember I showed a short story. There's another uh, former special forces guy. He just started writing, and mm. we both, um, we, oh God, who's who that? Who's that writer? The pugilist at rest. I'm kind of forgetting his name. Tom Jones. Tom Jones, yeah. and and he. Tom Jones has that wonderful story about being in his first firefight. Right. Right. And he can't shoot. And you, you can picture it all, like right. where they all are in their fight. And um, this one guy, he was, a, he was a special forces guy. He goes, is that guy really in Vietnam? I was like, I don't know. I have to look up. And he goes, that story didn't quite ring, ring for me. There's just something about it. Well, you know Tom's story, right? Tom, you know, there's a story called The Black Lights right. that uh, was in The New Yorker. Right. Is that the boxer one? Yeah. Right. Tom he, and Tom. He, was, he, Tom, he Tom wasn't was, actually in combat. No, he he and his... Uh, I read that. I thought, oh, man. Yeah, was, Ra was, Ra 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 the there's a podcast where Rachel Kushner reads that story, and they talk about it, and it's just absolutely incredible. Mm -hmm. um, and I've read all of his books. I have signed, a signed copy of, of his book. And uh, but um, Rest in peace. Rest man. in peace, yeah. But uh, Tom was a Marine, 
and uh, well, he had like TBI from boxing or something. Is yeah, what, what happened? He he uh, at, um, at at Pendleton or, or or Camp Pulgas or something. You know, he did a smoker one night. You know, and he took a blow to the head and he saw the black lights. You know, which is the worst thing you can see in boxing. Which oh, is that you know, story, yeah. Where, yeah, you know, it's it's you know he's seen stars, he's seen pinwheels, but then we see the black lights. And Muhammad Ali came up with that term, the black lights, and um, he wound up ha starting having epilepsy because he had a lesion on his frontal lobe from that. And um, this story is a short story, but I think there are some autobiographical elements in it. Maybe he, I know he spent some time in you know, um, you know, in, in hospital, but. Um, because of that, he didn't get to go to Vietnam with his unit. And they all went there, and they all, according to what I heard, they all of them died. And so, mm -hmm. so this is one of the things that he carries with him and led to a lot of, you know, um, suffering and uh, dysfunction in his life. And then he was working... Um, voracious reader you know because that is one thing you mentioned earlier on you said why am i going to write from the point of view of this you know whatever yeah. native american yeah dwarf but but, but, <laughs> but like i didn't say but, that. but no you didn't say that. you are writing a novel about a native american i'm looking forward to it <laughs> no, but no the you said something about cultural appropriation but that in our culture that in our culture right now in the military culture yeah how have you had to deal with that with people Mm -hmm. saying, um, I mean, there was, I think it was like four or five years ago, there was such a vigilant response to anybody that showed any type of, um, um, what, was, what was it called? C courage or honor, thievery or something like that. There was, there was a term for it. I even forgot what it was. It was mm -hmm. called, um, mm -hmm. um, oh, it, it was like saying you did something in the military when you didn't, like wearing, you know, saying oh, you went oh, to oh, ranger oh. school. Oh what's, yeah. What's the, what's oh, the word I forget. Now? There, there's it's an actual crime now in some places. Yeah, like if you put that, if you put that in there. Well, honor, here's the thing: honor theft or something you like know, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, honor theft. It wasn't so, that. So something like that. But I'll like figure that. it out. Yeah. yeah. Um, my friend Dylan Brody just wrote an amazing essay about the fetish, the fetishizing of military. And it was very important. Actually, he he sprung this essay oh, at a spoken love word. Love to hear that. In a spoken word, I think it's online somewhere. But at a spoken word event, and I was actually going to read my essay about word commandos after him. Sure. But it all worked out well because he and I just love each other. And um, uh, but he but he said some things that really needed to be said. Ben Fountain writes about this really well in uh, Billy Lynn's Long Halftime Walk, and. Um, uh, brief encounters with Che Guevara. Uh, the idea that um, you know, we have to strike a balance. You know, we have to honor those who served. Um, but you know, uh, this idea of you know, thank you for your service. That goes to the heart of everything that's wrong with how the American public, you know, um, deals with people who have been in the military. And um, I attended a a, a, um, a stage event, a one-man show that Tom Bird did last week he's one of uh, uh, a friend of the word commandos and in a way he's kind of a word commando i work with him on his writing he won an emmy and a peabody award for um dear america letters from vietnam that was on hbo uh, a few years ago and now he's he and he's a very accomplished actor he's really good you'd love him uh we got to get you get you two together uh but he is working on trying to finally get all this stuff into a book form and his story is amazing.
Um, it's funny, I haven't really told you about this, but uh, uh, but after the uh, the performance, he came out for a little Q&A, and his director came out too, who had also been in Vietnam. And he, he had a wonderful, um, he had wonderful advice for anybody that wanted to, anybody who encounters a vet. And he says, first of all, never say, thank you for your service. You know, ask them four questions. Who were you before you went into the military? Who were you when you were in the military? Um, who were you after you came out of the military? And who are you now? Um, and he's gotten some really good results using that approach. Because, and I'm, I'm, I've always thought, you know, before I heard him I get say, to like question three and be like, dude, what's your deal? <laughs> <laughs> you're you're, you're kind of, you're a little weird. What's going on? Well, well what, I think what he was really saying was talk to them. Okay, you know, don't don't just do this kiss off thing of thank you for your service. You know, get to know their yeah. story. I mean, this is whole thing about Native American culture, where where an ap apology isn't something that you can say. Yeah, it's something that you have to to do, or, right. or, or gratitude as well. It isn't right. something that you can just say thank you. You do thank you. Well, before I heard like, this, what are you doing? <laughs> what are you I, doing? From before us? I heard this guy, Brian is his name. Is his uh, his formula? Uh, I would when I would meet veterans, you know, even before I started teaching workmen, as I'd say, um, what can I do for you? What, do you? what do you need from me? Is there anything I can do to help you? you know, that's it, you know. Because in, in, inherent in that is the idea of thank you. Uh, but more importantly, here we are now, you know. Yeah. So, yeah. And, um, uh, you know, and that's uh, that's kind of my approach, you know. What is that word when you <laughs> steal something from someone? Because I think about it now, because my one-man show, I uh -huh. played a character, and I kind of collected this bunch of stories. I mean, I think I made, sent my uncle to Vietnam. I did all these things that weren't didn't really happen. I mean, nowadays, one-man show, one-person shows are very autobiographical. At least they seem to be. And I, I, had, I think I sent my uncle to Vietnam, and he was never there. I shot somebody, and I never shot anybody. And... Um, I think if I put that up now, people would be like, oh, my God, you're such a... Stolen uh, Valor. Stolen Valor. That's it. I, I'd be in jail for Stolen Valor right now <laughs> if I tried to make that show. Stolen Valor. Now, you see, really, that... Boy, I, you know... You think I, about it, though, I right? It's a, a real story. <laughs> stolen... I, I, you know what? I love... <laughs> I love the dudes who steal the Valor. I want to know that moment when, you know, that one politician says, you know, I'm going to put a cluster on this Army, Army oh, yeah. Commendation Medal. Like, why... Why that one mo Why? Who cares? Nobody knows what this fruit salad is anyway. You see, this is why we're writers because, you know, um, ra ra rather, why did he put that in rather than, you know, becoming completely enraged, right, you know, and, um, and, and grandiose and condescending Still and invalid. judgmental. You know what I'm going to be writing know? while you're on your way home. <laughs> I'm going to beat you to it. <laughs> <laughs> You'll be talking in your voice recorder. Stolen Valor, a short story by Robert Morgan Fisher. It'll be like that uh, that Tess Gallagher. Who, 345, June 13th. <laughs> it'll be like that Tess Gallagher, Raymond Carver, you know, uh, anecdote about, uh, you know, actually Tess Gallagher, Tess Gallagher is a good friend of mine. Are you serious? Yeah, yeah. You know, I. Uh, God, you always pull out these surprises. You're well, like, you know what? You know what? Yeah. Well, do you know? I, do you I know, know. You're like I know Ronald McDonald. <laughs> <laughs> well, do you know? He's how, my neighbor. He's been my neighbor for years. Do you, do you know how I? You know. Anyway, I uh, I saw this 
um, this documentary on Raymond Carver, mm-hmm. and uh, and she was very much in it, and um, and then I saw her go by like a mailbox and stuff, and and pull out a mail, and I saw the address in the mailbox, and I did some detective work, and so I wrote her a letter, and I sent her my first CD, which has a song called Requiem for Raymond Carver on it. And that, yeah. that st- initiated a friendship. And she said, well, the next time you're in Washington, you know, to see your parents, you know, come by and see me in Port Angeles. So we've, you know, we've been very, very good friends for over 20, like five years. And, um, but she, um, you know, so I, I heard a lot of really cool Ray stories before, you know, they were like published in books and so forth, you know, about, you know, anecdotes about his writing and stuff. But the the famous one is, she had a, a friend who was blind who came to visit her. And um and uh Ray was a little, you know, you know, kind of like well, he's, you know, a little uncomfortable with it or whatever. Mm-hmm. And so but he wound up writing this short story, Cathedral, which is iconic. It's a one of the best stories ever. And um you know, it's um I think Tobias Wolf said that when I when he read that story, he said I felt like I was lying on the couch. I said I felt like I was levitating. You know, and that's 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 the kind of story I want to write to make Tobias Wolf levitate. <laughs> so, and uh, that's your objective. But she had written a story too. She she'd written her version of the story. He wrote his version of the story. But he scooped her on it. You know, she you know, she she was going. She she when I know I think I might be getting the chronology wrong. But he, she said, "Oh, I, you know, I really want to write a story about this encounter." But he just you know, and this was Ray, and this is what the writer does is that you know you just ruthlessly just go after it. And you seize the moment. You know, carpe diem. And uh, and he wrote it, and it wound up you know, becoming published and so forth. And, but then she, years later, wrote her version of the story, which was published in one of her books. And, and uh, between the two, you know, you kind of get the real kind of story, you know. Mm-hmm. And they're, both, uh, they're both good in their own way, you know, um, and both completely valid, you know. It's, it's, it, but uh, it's, it's, it it's very Rashomon. Well, I know? mean, they both started with the same, like, that, well, that's what they say, like, ideas aren't really worth... Yeah, you know, it's all in the execution. It's, it's the unique expression of that idea. Yeah, yeah. While you're driving and I'm sitting here writing. <laughs> well, I, you know, I, I, I love that idea. Um, you know, Lori Moore, um, she wrote a, uh, a homage or a, a an updated version of a nob- of an iconic Nabokov story called Symbols and Signs or Signs and Symbols. It's had two different titles and. Um, and she wrote like an updated version of you know these parents whose son is institutionalized, and it's a terrific story. It's in I think it's in her collection, Bark. Um, Would you do that if any of this you know that's kind of a writing prompt or something, or mm-hmm. but a writing exercise? But think about it. are there any short stories that you've read where you're like you know I I, I want to know what about the guy who was oh yeah well what listen. about the waiter in that cafe and like you I, know the hills like white elf you know what about what about these other people what would the, what would their story and be, that's a know? perfectly valid thing to just go and you know and do that and um uh i actually um i have a short story in my um uh uh cabaret nation about the peripheral performers you know um, oh god i can't wait to read and, that. and 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 one of the things i i have enjoyed in writing that collection is that I challenge myself, you know, um, because I did all, all those years of working as a radio comedy writer where it'd be like, you know, I have to come up with a bit about this today. This is, this is the news of the day. This is human news. I need to do it. And so, um, I have written many stories 
across many collections, you know, that um, uh, where I've said, okay, this is an assignment story. And so um, I wanted to write, <laughs> I wanted, I thought, I'm going to write a story about, and this is about something I know nothing about, mm -hmm. honest, uh, gay bondage, right? You know, a gay, a gay bondage story. Because a, a friend of mine, who was actually another producer at Premiere, uh, Joel, Joel Douglas Perry, very talented, funny writer, in, incapable of being unfunny. I worked with a lot of those people at Premiere. Alan Wenkis, who wrote um, uh, Straight Outta Compton, uh, you know, he was a producer and a co-writer on that script. Um, and that, which is not a funny movie, but has funny parts. But, you know, if you knew Alan Wenkis, you'd be shocked that he had a part in that movie. But he's so talented. But Joel Douglas Perry told me this story about uh, a guy who had slaves in West Hollywood. And I think his name was like Master Skip or something. And uh, and he would go around West Hollywood and he had these slaves that were, that were all, they were chained to him, and it was all very, you know. Job of the hut. No, 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 not not you know. It was very, very civilized, right? Oh, sure. You know, I don't know what they they what did. Job of the hut was. Well, I researched it, you know, and apparently, you know, there are people who really are into that lifestyle, and there are certain rules, you know, and you have to go to the bathroom a certain way, and everything. But that fascinated me, right? And so I. Yeah, but Skip, I I his name was Skip. I know. He's got to have a name like Victor or something. He can't be like Master Skip. He's a, he's a real person, you know. So. Master Chip. Well, I <laughs> I wound up taking that, and I took a, um, a Kafka story mm -hmm. called um, In the Penal Colony, and mm -hmm. I wrote a short story called In the Penile Colony, and I put under it with apologies to Kafka, you know. Um, and it's not a funny yuck, yuck, ha-ha story. It's a, um, uh, a story that... Um, you know, where I was taking the, the beats of that original iconic Kafka story and just, you know, I, 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 I twisted them around for my own purposes and just kind of mirrored that story in the way that Laurie Moore did of that Nabokov story. And when I was done and had done a lot of revisions on it, you know, I thought, well, okay, you know, it, it'll work, you know, uh, and, um, you know, I still don't know, but I think that's part of your job as a writer is to just challenge yourself and just kind of put yourself out there. And if you make a fool of yourself, you know, yeah, you know that 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 uh, that does happen sometimes. But at least you tried. At least we tried. We tried to do a pretty good interview here. I think I think this was an interesting <laughs> conversation. I forget that almost that we had these headphones on to be honest with you. But uh, but Nabokov. Uh, why does Sting call him Nabokov? And you call him Nabokov. I believe. Uh, I, I believe that uh, it, it's Nabokov. I called him for years. I called him Nabokov. Right. You know, but um, at some point you switch. But what does it matter? As long as you read the stuff, Just you know, read him. The re read, read his, read his books. Read Pale Fire. Read uh, Lolita. You know, read. Um, uh, you know, his collected short stories, which are amazing. You know, um, there's so much. There are so many good stories and so many good writers out there. You know. Just read. I tell my I tell my uh, work is read promiscuously, and that always gets a, a snicker out of them, you know. But that, but they get it, you know, you know. Then all right, Gunny, I'm being promiscuous. <laughs> read like a whore. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Arlie. We've already established. Thank your you, Arlie Ermy. <laughs> now we're just haggling over numbers. <laughs> Thank you, Arlie Ermy. I wish Arlie Ermy had written a memoir. Oh yeah. Right. I wish he was here. You know, there is a... Uh, I wish he, he is right here. He is here. He's in my guest room. If you... <laughs> I'll, leave, I'll leave you with this, okay? Mm -hmm. 
if you go on YouTube and look up Arlie Ermey, there's a there's an actual you know that that famous um, that famous quote from Full Metal Jacket. Let me see your war face, right? Let me see your war. Yeah. <laughs> there's somebody somebody did that, and they um, through fancy and, and clever editing, they inserted um, this. Uh, they extended the Warface thing, so there's this disco music and these screams underneath it. So Matthew Modine and Arlie Ermey are just going on and on and on, and it is just absolutely addictive. Um, and in fact, when I um, feel that we're getting a little bit of torpor in the Word Commandos class, I'll say, okay, I need to see your Warface, you know. And I'll turn my uh, computer around and I'll play that YouTube video, and they just fall out of their chairs. They that is, we just love that, you know. And it's like a little battle cry for them. Let me see your war face. Look it up on YouTube. It's hilarious. I did. I looked that one up. It's nuts. <laughs> I get a couple more questions for you. One, I want you to start thinking about where we can find you, your websites, and where we can research your career more in depth. Okay. Um, you can listen to this this recording over again for for one, or um, you probably have. You probably have some sites we can go to. Um, you start. You you definitely are a fiction person. You've always gone with fiction. Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> you know, I've talked about some li some some major life events for for you. Um, I think I think being being um, an, an army dependent was a uh, was a real sort of formative experience for you as well. But mm -hmm. I guess my question is is like if you had to if you had to write a memoir and divide it up into kind of three chapters. Mm -hmm. You know what would they what would they be and what would those oh, events wow. what would those events be? <laughs> <laughs> go um, go. <laughs> it would uh, three chapters. Uh, you know, no three sections, three major three sections. sections. I mean, you'd probably want to have eighteen chapters, probably. Growing up, a, um, the son of a warrior, definitely one. Um, and then um, the second act adventure, as we like to call it, you know, right. uh, where I was juggling. Uh, music, acting, and writing. Uh, and then finally, um, you know, about 10 years ago, 10, 12 years ago, when I just started to, you know, really f zero in on my brand, which is I'm a narrative engineer. And if you go to my website, www.robertmorganfisher.com, you'll see a roll-top desk, and it says, Robert Morgan Fisher is a narrative engineer please don't pigeonhole him. And you click it and the roll top desk rolls up and there's all these pigeonholes <laughs> that have these portals to the various things I do. That was the only way I could figure out how to, um, um, uh, um, you know, to make it, make it work. That's interesting. Yeah. Cause you really have zeroed in on your, your craft. Um, you've been, you've done, you've done quite a few things. And I think it's that ability. I don't know. I don't know. How, how was that related your ability to kind of zero in your craft and then your, your, your capacity to give back well um you know you want to be of service right? right and um i wrote a short story about my work that was based on my work with the word command it's called gunny it's making the rounds out there um and it's a long story it's over six thousand words and i usually write a little bit more economically but this is the story i had to tell and it's embellished. It's not auto. It's not completely autobiographical. There are some autobiographical elements in it. Um, but in that story and in the essay that's coming out this fall, um, you'll you know basically kind of 
See, I've had people really help me, you know, at times. Um, and I'm forever grateful for that. And, you know, uh, you can't overstate the importance of a kind word and a little bit of encouragement. The writers, you know, um, and actors who do that, you know, at just the, just the right time. You know, John Lithgow, you know, is a guy who's known as just a really, you know, encouraging, wonderful guy. Um, Kerry Sinise, you know, very good actor, very involved with vets. Um, these people uh, do important work, uh, and you have to you have to make yourself available and bring light into the world. It's not all about you know you, you know. Mm -hmm. It's not all about you, Mark. <laughs> no, and thank God. That's why I stopped writing memoirs or trying to write memoir. No, but I do have to, I do have to take a, take a moment and to really thank and recognize you and for what you what you've done for me. Not only as a friend and music and everything else, but but as a writer. I mean, I remember being in the army and I started reading when I was in my twenties, and I thought, oh my God, I want to be a Right. I was just keeping these voluminous journals as a young lieutenant all the time. Right. You always call me the lieutenant. Yeah. And, um, you know, I started acting for a while, and I think everybody everybody enjoyed it while I, while I enjoyed it, and I'll probably continue to do it at some point. But you're someone who, you know, in the kind of, you know, seasons and, um, you know, changes of, of things that have been going on in, um, you know, Los Angeles since I've been here, you've been really holding my feet to the fire and encouraging me as a writer, and I really have to thank you for that. I don't know. I, I really have to question: Would I still be really? Would I be where I am right right now if it wasn't for you in, in Los Angeles? Oh wow, and, man! Um, and I don't, I don't think I'll give you twenty minutes to so stop thanks. saying that. So, so thank you. So thanks. <laughs> hey, yeah. you're welcome, man. And you know what? You're worth it. Um, thanks. Yeah. And listen, I uh, I've, I've really enjoyed uh, this interview, and I uh, I'm, and in thank you, Golden Walkman, for giving us the chance to do this and uh, I want to leave you all with um, uh, a little bit of uh, inspirational um, let's see here All right, so so we did we did find. I think it. it's when it kicks into that high. You don't expect that high register. You think this is funny enough without going up even higher. Well, hopefully people will be inspired by that. You find it on YouTube. The visual is absolutely uh, makes it perfect. Awesome. Thanks everybody, and thank you, Mark. You're welcome, man. Thank you everybody for listening, and we're signing out. <laughs>